This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, alternative media for discerning minds. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members for your loyalty and support. Tonight's special guest is Lucy Wyatt, author of the book, Approaching Chaos, Could an ancient archetype save the 21st century civilization? Lucy seems to think so. Many ancient civilizations lived in peace and harmony with this planet, while also enjoying technological advances that we can't even replicate today. Lucy Wyatt will be with us shortly. To listen to tonight's full show, become a member. Just go to our website, veritasshow.com, click on the subscribe button, and instantly enjoy all of our material, over 130 shows, Veritas TV, and the very exclusive Manticore Forum, where people around the world and I interact and post news and important information we don't have the time to discuss here. Don't wait any longer. 
for only $7.95 per month. You can listen in CD audio quality and take Veritas with you wherever you go. Subscribe today. And if you don't have the time for downloading all our shows or you have a slow internet connection, purchase our futuristic 8GB metal case USB drive with seasons 1 or 2, including bonus material. Go to the Veritas store. And don't forget, get your MMS right from us. If you haven't heard about MMS, listen to my interview with Jim Humble. By the way, I recently received a letter from Jim Humble in which he has received information that a three-letter agency is planning to literally remove him. I'm not going to get into the details here. You can read the entire letter at our forum, but I will read an excerpt. Jim says, quote, I have gotten letters from time to time that shows that there are many people who do know the score. And the score is that there are people in this world who are beginning to lose money because of MMS. That, of course, is pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, clinics, doctors, and a host of related industries. They aren't too worried about a few million dollars of losses now, but they are looking at the huge loss that will soon be happening when MMS becomes popular. We all know that, quote, the love of money is one of the main reasons for the world's problems. Of course, it is a little late for them to do anything now with more than 8 million people having used MMS and with thousands of websites and with thousands of MMS success stories posted all over the world. Remember, for every cancer patient, that they convince that MMS doesn't work, they make $800,000 for the cancer industry. A similar story exists for malaria, the worst disease of mankind, and many other diseases. To find out more about MMS, just click on the MMS link of our website. And if you want a Veritas subscription but cannot afford one, go to the free subscription link of our website and find out how you can get one. And if you need to get in touch with me, click on the contact button of our website and join me on Facebook. Could an ancient archetype save the 21st century civilization? There can be little doubt that our 21st century civilization is facing economic, ecological, and spiritual meltdown. Tonight, we will take a highly original and relevant look at just what we can do to reverse this very real and potentially disastrous situation. The information is out there. We can learn a tremendous amount that has been disregarded for far too long. Get ready for a brave and compelling overview of ancient history. If you are ready to have your long-accepted thinking on the origins of civilization challenged, then join us as we uncover many illuminating insights into how we can help ourselves today Lucy Wyatt is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere.
is Linda Moulton-Howe, and you're listening to Veritas. After studying international relations and Italian at the university, Lucy Wyatt went on to work for the National Economic Development Office, then in commercial design and marketing within Sir Terence Conran's empire, and followed this by editing a business magazine for a firm of City of London stockbrokers. Lucy Wyatt comes from an illustrious family of mathematicians, architects, and writers, and she has a lifelong fascination for the ancient past and the political and economic realities of the bigger picture. She lives with her family on an echo farm in Suffolk, United Kingdom, where she puts much of what she has learned from her research into practice. Approaching Chaos is her first book and will be the main focus of tonight's interview. And directly from Suffolk, United Kingdom, I would like to introduce for the first time on Veritas, Lucy Wyatt. Hello, Lucy, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hi, Mel. I'm good. We have a little bit of a delay, so bear with us. Sometimes technology works in this way, but we're thousands of miles uh, in the distance, but hopefully we'll, we'll make this work. Lucy, I found interesting that uh, you really wanted to explore the origins of alternative medicine, like homeopathy, than anything to do with yeah. civilization. Give us some background of yourself and what motivated you to write this book, Approaching Chaos? Well, it, it started around the time when um, my children were very, very small and I had been using alternative medicine, uh, particularly with, with them. But I also had friends who are uh, conventional mainstream uh, doctors, general practitioners, we call them in the UK, medics, who were very rude and skeptical about alternative medicine and dismissed it as unscientific. And so I felt that if I could go back to the origins, I might discover why that was and also maybe be able to uh, dispute with them and prove that, that they were perhaps not quite correct in dismissing it as unscientific. And at the time, I thought I'd just go back to the ancient Greeks and start start with them. And I felt the Egyptians were far too mysterious and exotic, and I ignored them. But as I dug away, um, a bigger picture started to emerge, and I realized I was going to have to get in much deeper and there was there was much more to to discover. So that's really what set set me off on the journey. And that was about twelve years ago now. There is so much information, Lucy, in history, that has been hidden from us, and the portions that may not be hidden sure. may have been perhaps mythologized. What have you found as it relates to the origins of humankind? I think we've been told the wrong story. I think we've been told a story that uh, civilization cities, I'm talking about cities when I talk about civilization, that they grew out of a farming experiment. And for what I could see, looking at the record going back as far as the end of the Ice Age, more than 12,000 years ago, that story doesn't stack up. It's, it doesn't quite work. But we've kind of fooled ourselves into thinking that everything happens by happen chance, happenstance, and it's all happy coincidence. And I don't think that's necessarily what the record shows. And I was very concerned to take the established record and reinterpret it. And I didn't invent any any information that's in my in my book. It's all all there in the archaeological record. But how you interpret it, that's that's the big question. And that's really what I, I felt drawn to to challenge. You know, by looking at things like the DNA, by looking at things like how crops came about, how agriculture started, and that that's really where I went. 
And that's a very interesting concept uh, when I was reading your book. And by the way, folks, it is really fascinating. You have to read it more than once to absorb it all. The concept of farming. You discussed that that, that man went from hunter-gatherer to all of a sudden becoming a farmer. Did cities start because of farming or was right. it the other way around? Farming started because of cities. Well, there are really two stages to farming, and it's quite important to bear that distinction in mind. There's a much older phase, uh, stage, which happens around the time of the end of the Ice Age. And, w and at that time, they were penning up wild animals and keeping them for meat and hides. But these were not domesticated animals. These were wild, and they stayed wild for thousands of years. Crops, they started to change a little bit um, later on. Um, the crops, they started to change around about 9,500 BC. Um, but animals didn't actually become the domesticated variants until around 5,000 BC. And in my view, that particular critical change with animals, domesticated animals, coincided with the arrival of cities. And I really firmly believe that they that those changes happen because of the cities and not the other way around. I don't, I don't believe it's possible to have the kind of changes we, we had through evolution. I think they had to have been deliberate, and I think it was deliberate genetic modification in order to produce um, the crops at 9,500 and the animals at 5,000. Who do you think caused the DNA manipulation? Well, I think that if you go back to um, the crop change, that's the first one to look at because that happens in very poor um, environments, very poor conditions for growing crops, i.e. in um, the foothills of mountains. And, um, and it has been commented on by archaeologists what a strange thing it is to find. And I also need to explain to your listeners the difference between a wild crop and a domestic crop is the difference of a single gene. And this gene is to do with um, convenience. It's to do with the fact that a wild um, seed head, when it's ripe, it breaks and scatters on the wind. Uh, but the, the domesticated version waits to be picked. It's not a, it's not a difference of taste. It's huh. a difference of convenience. And that is the single difference between domesticated and wild. So it's kind of rather important. And the other thing to mention is, is exactly what I said earlier about where it happens in these foothills. Uh, if you were going to have a farming experiment, you would choose better quality land. You would choose nice watered, fertile valleys and, and that kind of thing. So in my view, the people who made those changes had very good reasons uh, to, to, to grow a certain kind of crop up in those difficult places. And I think it's because they were up to other activities in those mountainous regions. And that's why they decided to, to alter the crops to help feed them on these operations that they were on. You know, a quick parenthesis, since you talk about domestication of animals in your book, I think of the zebra, which has never been domesticated. And isn't yeah. it uh, exactly. no more than stri a strip horse? Why the domestication of animals? Exactly. Was, was it to help with the farming? Well, I think that, that what happened with the animals is, is around 5000 um, BC, you get something what the archaeologists call the secondary products revolution. And what that means is all of a sudden, you can take milk from a cow and make a secondary product, i.e. butter and cheese. You can also take wool from a sheep. Before that point, sheep had coats like deer. 
they were eaten by humans, but they weren't used in the way that we use sheep. And it's after that point that, that they actually modified coats sufficiently to, to make them useful. You could spin them and, and create felt and, and things like that. So the, these are very, very important changes. And I think that they didn't change by coincidence. I mean, who, who would have the benefit of hindsight to know what would make a good cow just from looking at them at a waterhole? Also, the other point to bear in mind that if you want to create change in terms of breeding, you have to breed something with something different to create a different outcome. Right. Otherwise, you just get more of the same. I mean, after all, we still have wolves in zoos. They haven't they haven't changed evolutionarily into dogs. Right. You know, even though they've been in zoos for hundreds of years. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is one of the, those fascinating things that we continue to ponder. You know, I, I, I'm going to read as we go yeah, along certain exactly. certain parts of, of your book that are very interesting, certain snippets. Here, we, we, you say, we risk falling for the political temptation to circumscribe our freedom and our ability to determine our own futures. The apparatus of government now has unprecedented possibilities of surveillance and data collection, rendering us more more vulnerable than ever to arbitrary government. And folks, you're listening, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Mel, do all of a sudden change subject? But there's a connection between what you're talking about in ancient (laughs) civilizations and this. Tell us more. Wow, yes. <laughs> I've almost forgotten I'd said that. Um, well, I mean, one of the things I do write about is, is the whole concept of free of free will. I do think it's very, very important that people are aware that they have choices and that they need to exercise those choices and they shouldn't just get led down a certain path. You can't put your trust totally in, in governments. They don't make right decisions on your behalf. Um, you have to make decisions for, for yourself. So... I think that we do we do have to be aware of the power of government and we do have to try and uh, circumvent it because I think at the end end of the day, if there were to be some enormous global catastrophe and people would look to governments, I don't think they'd make the right decisions. So I do think we've got to try and clip their wings and cut back their powers as much as we can while we can. Because otherwise they will be rounding up those that actually would be helpful and would be useful if we're not careful. Because they're so mistrustful of people with what they think of as strange ideas. And I think the more people awake, the more concerned they become. But in a way, I don't know why I found a connection with a, a recent book that somebody you know, Graham Hancock, wrote Entangled, which is fiction, yours is not. But he talks about somebody from the past yeah. or somebody from the present. And I see this in reality with your book, but but real, nonfiction. You say in this part, even in the highly sophisticated urban West, we are still surrounded by ignorance, poverty, violence, and prejudice, coexisting in urban spaces that can depress the spirit more than raise it. It's unbelievable that after so many centuries, oh. we, are, we have not been able to evolve to the next step. Why do you think? Exactly. Well, exactly. I mean, what I'm trying to explode here, what I'm trying to challenge is our our arrogance in believing that we are the most highly developed, that we are the where progress leads and we're on a path to progress and still more. And and I don't I don't. I'm not convinced by that. I, I think that it, that we've produced a lot of ugliness. We've we, we've we've trashed our, our beautiful blue planet. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm appalled by us. I don't think we're, we're at all. Uh- Thank you for listening. 
To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.